<laughs> and I just took off the trail running as fast as I could past this skunk. And, uh, you know, for like the last, the next two miles, I'd look over my head to make sure this Satan skunk wasn't after me. In 1991, when Scott started and Dave Horton started about five days after him, of course, Scott didn't know there was no social media where David was. And David had the advantage of reading Scott's register entries and stuff. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Christian Ultra Podcast. Today you will hear the second part of my interview with Warren Doyle. Please, if you've not listened to part one, go back and listen to the first half of this conversation. Otherwise, if you already have, enjoy the rest of the conversation with me and Warren. Yeah, I've done nine section hikes and of course in the 80s, with the kids and stuff, I didn't get out much, but I tried to get out two weeks a year. So in the 1980s, I hiked the trail three times. Mm. And then between 1990 and 95, that five year period, I would hike the trail by sections. Mm -hmm. 95 and 2000, do another section hike. 2000 to 2005, do another section hike. 2005 to 2010, do another section hike. 2010 to 2015 do another section hike you know nine days at a time but all up to 2005 walking 30 miles a day was normal for me i like to walk all day or into the night and so you go out for nine days and you do 30 miles a day that's 270 miles yeah so that's only going to take you like you know nine weeks to do the trail total of your time, just nine weeks to do the whole trail at 63 days, you know? And so and did, did you do these section hikes um, alone or ever with people or? Uh, most of my section hikes were alone. There was, it was backpacking. Yeah. What, 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 um, did you ever have like a certain kind of routine, like up before sunrise or up at sunrise and kind of what did you do about your food? What kind of food did you eat? Well, maybe those two questions first. Yeah. Well, I'd always get up early and I'd always be on the trail. I would always be on the trail uh, at daylight mm. and then I'd walk into the night. Uh, if I had to, you know, cause if I'm out doing, I had to do this when my job wasn't busy, you know, so my job was usually busiest in the warmer months of the year. Yeah. So, uh, I never quit a job or lost a job to do any of my hikes. That's another accomplishment. You know, I'm not a trust fund baby. I'm not some person in the military that declared disability at the age of 25 and is getting a check from the military because I'm disabled. I haven't declared a mental disability, although people might think I'm crazy, <laughs> uh, but, but I'm not, not on the dole. Okay. I'm receiving social security. That's my first, you know, and I certainly deserve it because uh, I've worked for it. Uh, but uh, I'm first generation working class and, you know, who had, who had the, good sense to get a union card called a PhD degree so I could slip into the real world, get some money 
so I could slip back out and, and walk some and do something that was more meaningful to me. But, you know, always realizing, you know, the practical and the ideal. I'm, I'm a practical idealist. I'm a romantic realist. So when people say, can you describe yourself? I say, okay, a practical idealist or a romantic realist. And in the last, you know, 15, well, since I retired in 2010, I've been living a life of practical poverty. Uh, right now in this place where I am right now, I'm paying seven bucks a night to stay at a resort area. And I do that all winter. I go to various resort areas. It's called timeshare leftovers. You know, it's like when you're on the trail and you're real hungry and you go into a restaurant and you order what you normally would order in real life and you eat it. And then you realize I need more calories. You know, I'm walking 30 miles a day. I need more calories. So you look around and go, oh, look at there's leftovers over there. And, you know, you go over and get the leftovers and you eat them. You know, that's practical. You don't have to pay for them. It's not against the law. And you need the calories. So you, you, you look at those leftovers and you say, is that going to go to the maggots or is it going to go to me? Yeah. You know, Darwin, you know, theory of self-preservation, it's going to go to me. I need them. So, you know, it's practical poverty. Uh, you know, it's a, you know, if you see Les Miserables, you know, Charles Dickens, boy, did he, uh, no, it wasn't Charles Dickens, uh, Victor Hugo. He had a really good uh, take on society. You know, when all the idealistic college students wanted revolution, 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 you know, and they come man the barricades. They thought all the working and the working poor people were going to join them in the revolution because they were trying to save the working people. So they go out there with all their ideals and no one joins them and they all die. Yeah. And the people didn't join them. The underclass are down in the sewers taking their gold fillings out of their teeth or, you know, taking the, their watches and selling them. And that's why we have this polarization in America now, because human nature doesn't change. Mm. Just, I guess just surviving, hey? <laughs> we're, we're only 4 million votes be, between the lofty ideals, blah, 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 you know, Black Lives Matter, and, you know, people that, you know, like the police. They don't want to defund the police, you know, they, they see the police as important for their safety and security. Let, let, let me um, ask you about David Horton. So that was the first kind of, you, you know, kind of ultra running person yeah. entering the, the trail. And what, were you aware of it at the time? And uh, what did you think? And did you get involved in any way? Well, you know, uh, David contacted me before, which is always nice. It's always a nice courtesy. And I knew he was a professor, which I thought was cool. And, you know, he was certainly energetic and he was a, you know, he wanted to get information. I like that. Um, you know, and I read a little bit about ultra marathons and, you know, it, it wasn't a big thing yet on the East coast. Uh, but he was an inspiration to his students. So I like that. You know, I could identify as a college educator. Um, yeah. And of course, I knew Scott Maniac and I knew the people Lone Wolf that did his support. And so that was not really the only time I could think of there was a real race going on uh, was uh, 
1991 when Scott started and Dave Horton started about five days after him. Of course, Scott didn't know there was no social media where yeah. David was. And David had the advantage of reading Scott's register entries and stuff. And so it was fascinating to, to know about like when, when they met, you know, up in Vermont, when he finally caught up to him, you know. But boy, that was, it was really too bad because here was a walker, although Scott did some running. Here was a walker, but a runner was going to outdo him. So that, and David and I would always get into these good-natured battles about who could hold the record for the Appalachian Trail. I always said a walker camp. And, yeah. you know, that's what happened with Jennifer Farr Davis. Odessa was a walker. Yeah. And she was able to beat, quotes runners. Well, unfortunately, now, you know, especially with this last summer with Mercury, is I think, unfortunately, now the records for the Appalachian Trail someone is going to have to be a runner. Yeah. Not all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, yeah, yeah. Get, get uh, that. Yeah. No, no, I'm not going to get it. I just oh. turned it off. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, and you stayed friends with David. Oh after, yeah. After, you know, and he, he got that record. You, yeah. Uh, did you meet up with him? Was it, can you remember the first time you kind of met up together and I don't know, had conversations and stuff? Yeah, probably was at Trail Days, the yeah. Massachusetts Trail Days, uh, where we first met. And then, you know, I, I helped uh, Sam Swisher McClure, boy, talk about a beautiful summer. That was 1998. 19-year-old, I, I mentored him. He set the long trail record when he was 18. Youngest Fastest known time, of course, back then it wasn't known as fast known time, but youngest record holder ever. Yeah. And in 19, uh, well, 1998, the next summer, you know, he done, we went out and I drove support for him for the Appalachian Trail. And he was a walker. Yeah. And he, he was the first person that was, could prove that you can do 20-hour days, just 20-hour days. And he was remarkable, just remarkable. The, then he uh, traumatized his plantar fasciitis in Pennsylvania. But when he got to Pine Grove Furnace State Park, which, you know, was, quotes, halfway point, he made it there in 24 days. He was five whole days ahead of Dave Horton, the runner, a yeah. walker. And so that proved to me it was all about endurance, not speed. But those days are over. I just can't see someone who walks being able to set an endurance record on the AT. Well, the, you know, the running, um, you know, I was there with Carol and the running is it running is a, a quite a broad word because it's really very economical, slow shuffle jogging, you know, it's not, you know, but it is not hiking. There's definitely a difference, but it is an easy jog. Um, very just economic. But yeah. um, so I think on a day, though, where you have to average in order to break the record, you have to average, you know, 53, 54 miles a day. That's a difference of at least two hours a day between a walker and a runner, at yeah. least. And that's slow running. Yeah. And you're talking about sleep then. OK, so there's a big difference. You know, and that was proven, you know, with Mercury, you know, that was she was a runner. She started out as a runner, but she became a walker. And because she had to, mm. 
but that's the difference between a 15 to 17 hour day and a 18 to 20 hour day. Yeah. That's a difference. Well, let's, let's talk about Mercury. Um, so for the listeners, Mercury's, um, uh, her trail name is Mercury and, uh, her name, uh, birth name is Liz Anjos and you, uh, drove support for her, not just drove, but supported fully, um, oh, yeah. just, just this year. And, um, how about what did you see in Liz or let's say Mercury? What did you see in Mercury? What was the first? Can you go back to that first kind of recognition of something special? Well, she went to the Appalachian Trail Institute in uh, July of 2019. And she wasn't thinking about doing a record then. But, you know, her on her application, she said that she wanted to walk, run the trail self-sufficient. And uh, so we had these small diagnostic hikes there where she just, you know, she was doing twice what the regular people were doing. And then I invited her to come up to a smart hike I was doing in New York later that summer to try out this endurance hiking you know, with support. And it was pretty amazing what she did, her attitude and stuff. So she had a lot of the qualities that Jennifer Farr Davis you know, she's another person I mentor had. She was uh, curious, uh, a student, smart, um, but she had, had very little experience with trail running because she was a road runner. And then we had another prep hike uh, actually on the trail in November. Of course, there's less hours of time. And, you know, she fell and hurt her knee, about three inch cut on her knee, took eight staples to close it up but then she just kept on walking and that was that really showed me something yeah and and she wasn't afraid to walk at night alone at night not that i was telling her to but you know in order to break the record you gotta you, yeah. you, know, you have to carol didn't have to because he was just he was just within his capacity he knew you know he did his night hiking at four o'clock three thirty in the morning but yeah you know daylight was coming and he did all his night stuff when he was fresh so you know he he was flawless you know him and jordan were flawless and uh so you know so so she just she was a type of person that i wanted to help if she wanted my help and you know, that's another thing too. She, she really, uh, I don't spend time much of my time anywhere or with anyone that doesn't make me feel welcome. You know, I have to feel welcome and I have to feel, uh, an appreciation. So, It was good, you know, and I was just gonna, and it was good because I would just give her information. I would give her information and she would decide on her own what to do. Of course, you know, she, she trusted a lot of my information, that's for sure. Uh, so yeah, so that's... Uh, so was it your idea? Did you put it to her about, hey, maybe you could 
potentially go for a, a faster through hike, you know, a record attempt? Well, I think it was always in the back of her mind because she was, you know, she read all the books and Jennifer and, you know, you know, when she hurt her knee, we, I drove up to introduce her to David Horton. That's how she, she got into Hellgate and uh, introduced her to Jennifer Farr Davis and stuff. And she was just curious and you go, wow, this is, you know, she's a real student and, you know, she's sort of like a traveler on the way to becoming. And as an educator, I saw, wow, this is like, and, you know, for me to be able to use a skill set that I have that I can't use anyplace else, because I, I, I have this experience, this skill set about endurance hiking on the AT. Uh, I know what it takes. You know, I, of course, you know, I organize these expeditions, so I have that skill set. But to be able to have to use my skill set about helping somebody uh, who maybe want wants to challenge themselves that way, I sort of said, well, that's, that's a good way to spend my time, you know, yeah. you know, after all the practice hikes were over, uh, just like I do in the ATI, she asked me what I thought her chances were. And I said, well, I, I said, I remember saying that I give her an 80% chance of coming back with some record, you know, because at the time, I committed from 41 and a half days to 46 and a half days to her journey. Mm. Uh, she wanted to try to break, you know, Carol's record. And I told her, I said, look at that was flawless. Joran and Carol were a team and they had learned they got all their mistakes out on the PCT and they still were able to break the record. So here they were coming out. The only disadvantage they had was they didn't know the trail. And of course, you know, I started, I met them and they welcomed my uh, knowledge. And, you know, so I gave them all my information that I had of all the road crossings and stuff, which helped. And, uh, it was just amazing. They were, they made all the right decisions. I can't think. And, you know, they had car problems too in the beginning, you know, uh, flat tires and stuff like that. And their support vehicle wasn't to me the best. He, you know, Jordan had to put tents up and take tents down. And, you know, that, that takes time. And, you know, there was a few logistical mistakes, but not many. Uh, so it was, it was a team. I mean, it was a team and uh it's gonna be hard to break and talking about teamwork you know you and liz had you had that teamwork yourselves oh uh, yeah you know what we were we were something else i mean it was uh i met her you know and of course i'm still setting goals for myself and challenges i just can't do physical challenges anymore you know because of my weight because of my age so those days of you know 30 mile days are walking 150 miles in three days, like the spring stroll. I used to run one of those or 64 miles in a day, Damascus by dawn. Those days are over. I'm aging gracefully. My mind's still good. And I know the trail and I know the rhythm of the trail. And I know what it takes psychologically and emotionally to do the trail. And uh, I met her 
So this is something that won't be, I don't think will be duplicated, but I throw this challenge out to any support crew driver in the future on the AT. I throw this challenge out. Can you meet your person over 400 times during the course of the hike without ever being late? Okay. Yeah, that's because that's what I did. 402 times, I never was late. So in terms of the physical support, in terms of the meeting, yeah, couldn't get any better. <laughs> yeah. No, so I can see the goal of a support person is yeah. to never hinder. Yeah. To never so, harm. So because you're out there for this person to cover as much ground. And if there's going to be any snafu, let it be the weather or that person themselves, maybe not making the right decision, but don't let it be you as a support person. So how did you achieve that? Did when Liz arrived, did you, um, you know, she did whatever she had to do and then you were off to the next um, yeah. location and, and, yeah. and, um, did you have that planned out? Yes. Kind of for each day or, or was it just, okay, I know the next stop is seven miles away. I would try to, uh, give her a list every day of where I was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on a little sheet of paper because she, you know, she didn't carry much, but you know, I would remind her when she came in, okay, I'm, I'll be here. This is the way the trail is. I'd tell her what to expect and so forth. And, and, you know, never, you know, we were, she likes to use the word dialed in. I guess that's a popular term dialed in. We were dialed in and, you know, we, you know, we had, we learned from our mistakes on the prep bike, you know, it's sort of thing where, you know, I don't care what people say when you're out there doing this, you know, when you're out there doing 50 miles a day, you have a different personality. You have to have a different personality. You're focused in, you are focused in and you can't be, you know, sweet, 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 or you can't be friendly, you know, personable, you know, Miss Congeniality, Mr. Congeniality, you know, you know, I mean, Jennifer Far Davis, she wasn't, I mean, she's sweet and charming in real life, but when she's on a record attempt, you know, it's a task. Yeah. It was a task. And so we warned people, you know, she, she even, she typed up an email, which of course I looked at, warning people, people coming out wanting to help, to tell them this is what you can expect. This is Jen. Jen. This is what you oh, can this. expect from Warren. Okay. We're going to be focused. Who, who sent this? Was this Liz or uh, Jen? Uh, well, no, I had Liz make an email. We talked about this. Yeah. And, you know, because what, you know, to prepare people. So this was, this was the best prepared record attempt that I know of in terms of the details uh and uh and she's a detailed person too so it was really easy to 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 work with her and so we were set we were totally dialed in okay so there wasn't going to be any logistical surprises of course you don't have control of the weather but no no one has that and so you know she was after we went out to try to do Carol's record, although, you know, I, you know, when I said 80%, you 
she'd come back with a record, I was thinking I'd just be, it's going to be hard enough to try to break Jennifer's record. Because mm. the one thing that Liz lacked was trail running experience. She just didn't have that much trail running experience. And there's only so much you can do, you know, from July of 2019 to July of 2020. That's mm. only like less than a year. Yeah. And she's way out in the West Coast. And I'm on the East Coast. You're hiking an East Coast trail. You're way, living way on the West Coast. And logistically, how are you going to get out there? You know, you know, she didn't have any experience in the White Mountains, which is not good. That It is not good for anybody to walk the Appalachian Trail who hasn't walked in the Adirondacks in upstate New York, the White Mountains in New Hampshire, or Western Maine. Mm especially for a record holder, a record attempter. And of course, you know, this is what the people from out West, you know, like Scott Jurek and Carl uh, Metzler and so forth found out this is difficult for a runner. That 227 miles is difficult. You're not going to be running. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, so she goes and she did fine. You know, her first three days, she did fine. Her first four days went fine. Newfound Gap. Here she is in Newfound Gap. And Carol is sleeping in the, you know, literally sleeping in ice water spring, just three and a half miles ahead. So she gets up at uh, 2 a.m. She passes ice water spring and Carol's still sleeping, getting ready for his fourth day, you know, fifth day or what, you know, fifth day. And uh, so Liz is ahead of them then. And then she second guesses herself on Blazes. And it was over. On the fifth day, it was over because she was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and up to seven miles. And, you know, she didn't have a, her smartphone because she didn't hike, you know, she didn't put it in a plastic bag. It got wet. Couldn't, I couldn't help her. Mm -hmm. You know, if she was able to call me, I would be able to say, Tell me uh, what does the trail look like? And I would have been able to walk her, tell her, yeah, you're going north. Keep on going north, you know? Uh, so uh, that was that was over for because of technology and decision-making. And, and how did you, um, so that was the, the big, big obstacle for you guys as a team. How did you? Carol, yeah, Carol's record. That was gone. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Because Liz has the um, fastest supported northbound. Yeah. But how did well, you? Well, then we, you know, after Carol's record was okay. Well, now we'll recalibrate. That was the yeah. beauty of, of working together to do uh, Jennifer's record. This is what we have to do for Jennifer's record, yeah. and we kept that up to about day twenty-two, and then it became apparent that the shin splints that she had was not going to be. She wasn't going to be able to run through some of the least difficult sections of trail, like the Shenandoah in Pennsylvania. And so, you know, that was hard. So we had to recalibrate from Jen's record of 46 and a half of, okay, let's go for under 50. Let's set under 50. And, you know, that went until, you know, the White Mountains. And then, boom, she hits the White Mountains. And, and the fear that I had of she had never been in the White Mountains before. And she was like, oh, my God. And so we went from under 50 days to, you know, let's be, try to beat David Horton. And we say that with a smile on our face because he's always, you know, he's got that way about him, this competitive yeah. 
good-natured way. But he's like, well, let's be, you know, so he could get, because he didn't want to get beat by a girl. You know, that's his word. He doesn't want to get beat by a girl. I said, come on, let's have, let's go after David Horton's. And so that's what we stuck with from through the White Mountains through Maine. And that was hard. That was hard to do that. But resiliency, this was uh, exercise in resiliency. That's never happened before. Uh, we didn't go home. We didn't give up. We kept on going. And it was, it was very impressive that way. I was very proud of Mercury. Uh, I was very proud of how we were able to recalibrate our goals and to keep going. Yeah. Did you ever uh, fall out with each other? Or was there any tense moments um, during the attempt? That's a good question. Question answer is no. I think, you know, we, and it wasn't bad at all. It was uh, on one of the prep hikes in November. This was way back in November. I walked up to Blue Ridge Gap because you had to walk in. There's no way you could drive up there. And I had all this food for her. And so I was really excited because I had all this food for her. I said, here, you can have this, you can have this, you can have this. And I was all hyper. And uh, that was a little frustrating for her because, you know, she, she wanted to talk. So I, and so we, you know, you could tell, I could tell she was a little frustrated. I'm, I'm sort of like, okay, you know, I, I could see that, you know, I could see, you know, this is the, uh, what I call the diva, you know, you gotta be a diva uh, or a divo. Uh, and so from that, you know, we would recap everything about that. And what came out of that was when she would come in, she would do the talking and I would not talk until she would ask me a question. Yeah, no, that's... And so with that understanding, yeah, during the course of the hike, we worked very well together. But, you know, there was, you know, I, I was not sugarcoating. She knew when I was concerned about her pace. She knew... I was honest with her. I said, you know, you can't, you know, not going to be able to do this if you go this pace. Yeah. Well, she, she did, uh, David did get beat by a girl in the end. So, hey. That's correct. <laughs> I hope he listens to this, David. <laughs> um, not just any girl. Uh, Warren, you know, um, you were a major influence in Jen Farr Davis's uh, life. I've read the books. They're some of my favorite books. And I guess that's when I really um, learned from someone else's perspective about you and your involvement with Jen. Uh, can you talk about Jen and your relationship and how you guys, how she just ended up achieving what she did and, and, and your involvement and so on? Yeah. Well, Jen, you know, that, that was a real talk about preparation you know, what Liz was trying to accomplish in a year, which you can't accomplish. When Jen came to the ATI, right after she graduated from college in 2004, she wanted to be a normal backpacker. Okay, that's cool. You know, and, and that's, so that's what she was. She wasn't, she hiked the trail normal. She was an athlete. She wasn't 
certainly out of shape, but she had no aspirations to set records. You know, no, no aspirations whatsoever, because there was no Jennifer Farr Davis's before this. Yeah. You know, Liz knew about Jennifer Farr Davis. She knew about Onish, Heather Anderson. There were role models out there for other women to aspire to. And so, you know, uh, Jennifer does her hike in 2004, you know, uh, 2005, really pretty cool. And uh, then she went out and did the PCT trail in uh, 2006, I guess it was. And I was out on the trail, John Muir trail, ran into her out there. It was like, wow, this is interesting, you know, run into each other out there. And, and we kept in touch, not by a lot. And then she contacts me uh, wanting to be an endurance hiker because she knew about my record and stuff. And I said, well, that's a whole different bag, you know? So, and she was thinking about doing the AT in a short time, but, you know, she didn't have the support of her mother and it meant a lot to her at, you know, when you're in your mid twenties, you're closer to your parents. And it wasn't that she was asking them for money, but it's good to have the support of your parents, you know, not, you know, not, Rob, Rob, go ahead. Now we believe in you, but but not to actively say you shouldn't be doing this. This is a waste of your time. You're you're wasting your life and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so I said, well, why don't you do the long trail? Because endurance hiking is different. You know, it's really different. I said, why don't you do the long trail? You know, it's miniature AT. And so we met, and you know, she explains where we met at the convenience store early one morning, and and uh, I wrote out a schedule for her for the Long trail, she goes out and does it all on her own, not supported, but all on her own. And she set the record and she didn't have good weather. And she even hurt her knee her first day. And Terry and I were out on the trail in the White Mountains doing a section. I'm looking over the Green Mountain, oh man, she's getting rain on. I wonder how Jen's doing. And, but she did it. First time a woman had an endurance, overall endurance record on any long distance trail in America. Oh. It was phenomenal. And, and then she decides that emboldens her to do the AT the next year. Well, okay, you know, I'll help with logistics on that. And, and uh, she meets Brew in the fall. They fall in love, they get married. And part of their deal was, okay, we're gonna spend our honeymoon. You're gonna drive support for me. I'm gonna set a woman's record <laughs> on the AT. So, you know, I worked with Drew because, you know, there's, you know, being a support crew driver, you know, takes guidance as well. And uh, I called a dance at their wedding in Charlottesville. And uh, so they drive up and uh, they do uh, the woman's record. And I helped crew her down south because David Horton and I, and Chen's father, boy, that was a trip, three of us helped her out for about a week because Brew had to go back and start teaching in Asheville. And uh, she wasn't suffering. Okay, she was not suffering. Yeah. It was like a walk in the park for her. And, you know, of course, David Horton was saying, you got to suffer. You got to suffer, girl. You know, you're making us look bad, you know. <laughs> I'm going to myself, oh, geez. So we, we, we said, you should make a statement. Okay, make a statement at least. You know, you don't have many more days left. So the 
her next to her last, last day, we're able to get her to do 64 miles, which is great. Started at 10 after 10 of three. I hiked with her during the night up to Standing Indian. Then David Horton walked with her at the rest of the time. And uh, so she sets the record 57 days. All right. There really wasn't a woman's record on the AT. A couple of months later, we're out on a day hike, Jen and I, and we started talking. And I said, you know, Jen, you have the You have the ability to set the overall record. You know, don't let your gender hold you back, you know. And uh, and she said, my two weaknesses are she doesn't like the cold and she doesn't like hiking at night. I say, well, hey, Jen, you know, if you're going to go out and do the uh, record in 40, try to beat Andrew Thompson, it's going to be maybe 46 days, 47 days. It's not going to be cold. You just do it in the summertime, you know? It's like, and then she goes out just all on her own, just on her own. And she does the foothills trip through the night down in South Carolina, through the night. And boy, that says something for her, that she met that fear head on and she deliberately went out and did that. Boy, that's impressive. And so then, you know, 2011, there they go. And yeah, I helped out the first two weeks up north because that's where I was going to be of the greatest help. And uh, yeah, uh, and she suffered. But she did it. She did it. And so there you go. Woman has this overall record for the AT. What month was it that she started that um, second? 2011 in June, mid-June. Okay, yeah. Mid-June. And that, and, and that's the story of Jen Farr Davis. Um, Warren, you said you also uh, did some support for, is it Sam Swisher? Sam? Yeah. Yeah. When Sam was... Swisher, yeah. So how about um, go into a little bit more detail about that? Like, was it northbound or southbound? And, and... It was north, northbound. That was 1970... Uh... 1978, uh, I'm sorry, 1998, 1998. Yeah. Uh, I had gone down there to live. I was living with his mom. Uh, I had been divorced. And uh, she was a very vivacious person. And uh, she had two sets of children. Uh, Sam was the oldest. And he, he started showing an interest. And in, he was a cross-country runner. He started showing an interest in and uh, doing a lot of miles on the trail. I said, okay. And, and back then I could walk them. So we did a Damascus by Dawn hike, which was 64 miles in 24 hours south of Damascus. You know, start at 6 a.m. in the morning, finished by 6 a.m. the next morning. And uh, we did well on that. And uh, a couple other things showing a lot of good qualities. And so I drove support for him in uh, 1998 and, and, it just did incredible 24 days like i said you walk in 18 19 20 hour days and um it was uh, pretty dramatic this this stuff is dramatic that's another reason why i like it it's so intense you know this endurance hiking is so intense and and, and it's 
and can be very positively addicting because it is so intense. And um, yeah, so he hurt his foot, drove him about 300 miles back to Elkins, West Virginia. Her, his mom was a neurologist, so she knew the medical community. She called up her podiatrist friend, 2 a.m. in the morning, he's looking at his feet, making orthodontics. He gets back in the car and I drive him back up to Duncan in uh, Pennsylvania. And he, he went on for about five more days and he was down to about a mile and a half an hour okay. and it wasn't getting any better. And I remember sitting by a spring, sand spring, right before poor Clinton. And his mom was with us at the time and she of course was really concerned as most parents would be when they see their children suffering. And he came and I said, hey, Sam, if you keep on going in about two hours, Dave Horton's going to run past you. You know, the virtual Dave Horton. Yeah. Said, there's one thing to stop. There's a difference between stopping and quitting. And believe me, Sam, you're not quitting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, very emotional. Yeah. And what was interesting, one of the highlights for me was Sam became a doctor. He's married. He's got two kids, I believe. He's in Philadelphia. And, you know, we hadn't been in much contact, not because we didn't like each other or anything, but we just never been in too much contact. And I called him up and I said, hey, Sam, I'm with this person and she's doing really something. She has qualities like you had. Said, would you like to come out and do a section with us? Yeah. Because we're in Pennsylvania. So he comes out to Lehigh Gap, the Twilight Zone. And he comes running across the bridge. And I just burst into tears. <laughs> From 1998 to 2020. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, nine, yeah, 1998, 2000. That's 22 years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so he hikes with her. And it was beautiful to see them together. Just beautiful to see them. That's, that's my role as a social change educator. Yeah. That, wow. When does this happen? I mean, when <laughs> does this happen? And uh, so that was a, that was one of the highlights for me. Um, and that was on Liz, obviously Liz's attempt. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. 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 And yeah, another good thing, you know, it's funny. A couple of really interesting things happened in Pennsylvania of all places, but uh, she's going down into Duncannon, which is, you know, this very crowded, economically depressed, community that you walk through you know at the end of the walk is i call it a safety zone because there's a strip club and an adult bookstore and i said this ain't no appalachian trail this is like you gotta be kidding me yeah and so i wanted to make sure that someone was walking with her through this town and she had a runner with her which is cool and uh they got off the mountain before it got dark and so now they're walking through duncan and they're going in front of all these people's houses you know, for about two and a half miles, you're right in front of people's doors. You know, someone could just come out and grab you and pull you in if they wanted to. <laughs> and uh, so the guy she was hiking with, it was real, real fun guy. 
he had this LED light. He was ultra running, and they have these belts. I don't know whether you've seen them. Yeah. With all these LED lights. Yeah. That you strap around your stomach or something like that, and it's like this this ray of light coming from the middle of your body, and and Liz is like dressed up in her you know tight shorts and her sports bra, and you know she looks like. You know, they both look like mutants, you know, like the X-Men, <laughs> you know, like, you know. <laughs> and so they're walking down through this town and they're, I'm sure they're passing in front of and people watching the TV and, you know, they probably look out their windows and go, holy cow, who are those people? You know, and to see them walking through this town, you know, this bright light and then this, you know, follow this other person. So at the end of the roadwalk, there's these two really nice houses and no one, it seems to live in them, but they have candles in them, like a, electric candles you have for Christmas, but they look spooky, like the last house to the left or the house on Elm Street or whatever, it looks spooky. So I was with the guy's wife <coughs> or companion. I said, oh, I wish we had a wheelchair because like in the X-Men, you know, with the uh, bald-headed guy, you know, he's welcoming all these mutants to the, their training. And so <laughs> I wish I had something like that because I said, Oh, we have our two newest mutants here, X-Men, you know, time to start some more training. <laughs> it was neat. Yeah, no, that I mean, when is that gonna happen? Yeah. That you know, you you know, you see this bright light coming through this guy and then this woman following him that's all like you know, like holy cow. <laughs> Pretty crazy stuff, man. Yeah. What 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 what's the um so you've done nine uh, through hikes and how nine, many nine section hikes? Nine and nine, and have they been predominantly one direction, or has it been a combination of north and south? Uh, most of all my through hikes have been northbound because when I had to start, <coughs> you know, start in early May and then have to finish by Labor Day, I try to make it a point on my section hikes to do southbound when I could. And I'd say that I have done the entire trail southbound at least three times by yeah. piecing together these sections. What is your opinion on um, north and southbound? I mean, whether it's a hike or whether it's a record attempt, do you do you have what are your thoughts on that on on north and south? Well, you know, there's a lot of discussion on that. Obviously, you know, well, for me, you know. That's the fastest known time. You know, they're they're the ones that instituted the northbound and the southbound record. You know, before fastest known time, it was just one record, regardless of which way you went. Okay, yeah. So, but now, you know, there's a new interpretation. So um I don't necessarily sub subscribe to that, but that's you know, the way things are being recorded now. Um I don't know. I, I, I just feel that Katahdin is it's the visually, <laughs> yeah, visually the place to end yeah. a journey. And, you know, with 1800 miles underneath one's belt physically, because you know, it's going to be hard. You know, this 227 miles is going to be hard. So, you know, if you're, trying to break a record and have to do 53 miles a day when you get to glencliff your average should be maybe 56 miles per day because you're going to drop down you know you're you're only 
you know, people are only going to be able to maybe do 45 miles a day for five days. So that will bring that average down. So you know what lies ahead. And really, the only thing that's a kicker, but it's for anybody going south or north, is the weather. Because, mm. you know, Carol had some bad weather on the whites. And, and, uh, but he was able to do it. He had a fellow helping him, thank goodness. I mean, the day that uh, Liz went over the presidential, she had the same guy that helped Carol with her. Ted, oh. really got great guy. Yeah. Really good guy. Yeah. And they got hit by rain. They didn't have, I mean, they didn't have as bad weather as Carol had at all, but they, you know, they did have a, a rainstorm that was a little crazy for about an uh, hour and a half. You know, in all this time, I haven't even asked you actually yet about your, um, the Appalachian Trail Folk School. Um, could you, uh, you know, uh, explain how that started, what it is, and what its role is today? Yeah, okay, that's the Appalachian Folk School. I run the Appalachian Trail Institute out of it. But the Appalachian Folk School is, uh, my mentor, Don West, started two folk schools. Uh, one is the Highlander Folk School. Uh, he did that along with Miles Horton, and that's where the uh, people in the civil rights movement, you know, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Ralph Abernathy, this is where they were sent by, quote, white liberals to learn nonviolent civil disobedience. And so that, of course, if you follow history, there's a textbook that is in a lot of classes in America, Hoover, Herb Hoover wanted people to know that Martin Luther King was, quote, a communist. So they, would, they had a picture of him and Rosa Parks in this classroom, and it was entitled Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks at a Communist Training Camp. And that was, of course, the Highlander Folk School. It wasn't a communist training camp, but that's how people would be discredited. And then Don started a uh, second folk school in Pipestem, West Virginia, the Appalachian South Folk Life Center. That's when I came on board <coughs> at that folk school. So when I retired from institutional teaching at 2010, I was 60 years old, I found this piece of property near Damascus, bought it, and I was just going to run my ATI classes out of it. But after about a year, I talked to Terry and I said, hey, Terry, I saw what Don West did at the age of 60. I said, I'm thinking about maybe starting a folk school. And you know, she has her own job and her and her own life. But the plan was that I was going to spend several years building it. And so when she, when the time finally came to, when she was maybe burnt out with her job, or I was too old or too sick to hold down the fort, that I would be the one holding down the fort. So, over a space of two years, most of the building occurred, and uh, it went well. You know. I, I, I knew I was going to be in practical poverty after that because I used up all my life savings. And, uh, and we have this place. And uh, it's a retirement project for me. But when I'm ready to relinquish the duty, you know, Terry or uh, other people will, you know, will run it. And so it's just a place. And it turned out beautifully. It's it's my last hurrah. 
Yeah, well, I've, I've visited and it, it is a place of beauty. Um, I wouldn't mind coming and living there, actually. <laughs> Leave uh, rainy London. <laughs> but um, so I, and you have the, the you mentioned the ATI that that's the um, could you because you educate people on so you you don't lead hikes anymore but you educate people who want to go and you know you've mentioned yeah. Liz came to your school Jen Far Davis did um, yeah are, are you are you still doing that and what does oh, it yeah. entail yeah I yeah at least for hiking I'm not doing any more through hikes or second hikes I had my Forrest Gump moment in 2015, uh, but I'm still connected to the trail. I always will be connected to the trail. The Appalachian Trail Institute, I started in 1989. It's a five-day program condensing what the people in the expeditions had over uh, two semesters or two and a half years into a five-day program, very inexpensive. And this is for people who are planning their own hikes. And they come in and they get a realistic preparation. You know, 75% of the people that go to the ATIs finish their hikes if they actually start their hikes, as opposed to the direct opposite of a 75% failure rate. So for five days, I really do dwell a lot on the philosophical and the psychological aspects of successful long distance hiking. I'm not interested in things food or equipment, they can get that information someplace else. Uh, but I, and then I also do logistics too, in terms of going through the whole data book, telling them where safety zones are, telling them where <clears throat> physically it's the most difficult stuff like that. So we go, they use uh, old data book and they make notes and the notes that they are given is our notes that are very important mm -hmm. to succeeding. And, and, and Jen came to that school in oh, school. Yeah. And, and 2004. School. Yeah, and, and Liz. And Bill Irwin, the first blind hiker, was in the first one in 1989. Yeah. I've had a lot of, I took the tall Skywalker, the tallest through hiker, six foot 11, and had a guy that was inspired by Bill Irwin, the blind hiker, come to the ATI. He didn't have a stomach because uh, of stomach cancer. And so his trail name was Gutless, but he did the trail in about eight months. Yeah. yeah. Has there been anyone else who's um, stood out in terms of potential uh, ability to go in after the record, but, but outside of Jez, Jen and Liz, sorry, who's kind of not really, I suppose you have to have the interest as well, but has anyone else stood out as well who hasn't gone after the record? Oh, who has stood out? No. Uh, not who, who's come to the ATI. Mm -mm. No, no. And, you know, I didn't see, I didn't see Jennifer Farr Davis as a record holder. No. You know, I, I think the only person that came in to the ATI, well, there's this other guy uh, that want, he, he didn't necessarily want to set a record, but he wanted to do the trail in about 66 days, the same time I did it in. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I had, you know, some reservations about that but there's been you know every year and i follow it because it's fun to follow and i haven't necessarily made a lot of friends that way but i i sort of there's pretenders and there's contenders and there's been a lot of pretenders you know like this one guy a lot of publicity you know 
I don't like it when people get a lot of publicity who haven't proven themselves yet. I think you have to earn your publicity. You have to earn it. And uh, so, uh, and that was, of course, the thing that didn't, uh, with uh, Scott Jurek and Carl Metzler, they had no respect for the people who came before them. That it just didn't start with them. That it wasn't, you know, and so if they're, if on their websites they're saying, I'm going to conquer the Appalachian Trail, I'm going to do a sub 40 mile day, that's just, that to me is disrespectful back then when, when the record was, you know, David Horton's record or 48 days. It's like, it's like a mile, you know, like if people year after year have tried to do a sub four minute mile and finally, finally after 20 years of doing, trying to do a sub four minute mile, somebody does it and it's a big thing and someone's saying all of a sudden coming in and saying that has absolutely no experience whatsoever saying i'm going to shorten it by 10 seconds that's that's that doesn't sit well with me um, um, and so i think you know it's a very informal thing but i think we always had this what i call an honor system that you know when the person that broke my record Maybe I was the one that started it. I don't know. But I was on Katahdin to congratulate him. Yeah. Yeah. And ever since then, you know, David Horton, you know, there's, there's this, you know, even Jennifer Farr Davis is like that. There's this respect of the people who came before you. Yeah. Je actually, uh, I think, did, uh, have I got this right, that Jen came out and did, had spent some time with Liz while she was going. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, Liz met her in November. Uh, on our way down to Springer, uh, I picked uh, Liz up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I called up Jen. I said, hey, she's going to be around. It'd be nice to for you guys to meet. And Jen said, fine. So I just dropped her off. I had to go call a dance at a school during the day. So they got to spend about four or five hours together in November. And... Uh, then you know, had communicated. Uh, she met Brew, uh, and then that. So over that course of weeks, he met Jennifer Far Davis. Had a good time. She met David Horton. You know who did his thing for two and a half hours at Liberty University. Uh, so yeah, she had she had that. Uh, she wanted to meet these people. Yeah. She's it's, a student. Yeah. You know. And then just, um, I just wanted to ask you about your experiences with the wildlife. Have you ever had any kind of, well, I mean, of course you have. What special moments have you had with, you know, the, the wildlife on the Appalachian Trail? Uh, yeah, you know, there's uh, my first hike in 73. I was sleeping. I was just sleeping across the trail in the Smokies. And I could hear some thumping coming down the trail, and I'd say, "Oh boy, that must be a bear." I didn't move at all, because uh, you know, I could, I would hike. Maybe I started sleeping at 11 p.m. at night, you know, and uh, so the bear came down and stopped, and I started snorted because he was wondering what this lump was doing in the middle of the trail, you know, and uh, so after a while, he just went right over me. I could feel the fur of his underbelly 
scraping oh, across the top of my sleeping bag. And then uh, another time I came across at night, a black sow, wild pig, because you couldn't pick them up at night, being sort of black, is all the all her piglets. And, you know, I scared them. And, you know, the piglets went all over the place. And, you know, the mom didn't like that. And she started to charge me and stuff like that. You know, Liz had a couple herring experiences with bears. <coughs> um, yeah, so you have those, you know, moose and snakes, and, you know, just that's to be expected. Mm -hmm. I think the scariest wildlife encounter I had was Satan skunk. I was in New York. I was hiking through the night because it was too hot to hike during the day. And it was about 2 a.m. and I was about ready to cross a dry stream bread on a bridge and this skunk was coming up. I said, I better not, that skunk might be right underneath the bridge when I cross it. You know, I don't want to get sprayed. But, you know, when I, because I could hear it. So when I shined my light over to the skunk, its eyes were red. And the minute it saw my light, it started scampering right towards me, right towards me. Yeah. And I was going, ah, you know, I screamed <laughs> and I'm going, oh, geez. And you know, I throw stuff at it and I didn't want to hit it because I don't want it to spray. And I wish I had a video of it. It could have been, you know, could have gone viral or something. I don't know, but this grown man, you know, this skunk chasing him, you know. Yeah. And I was trying to throw stuff at it. And so I ran about probably about 200 feet. I must have thrown at least three or four things at it. So then I finally threw some at it and sort of got off the trail just for a little while. And this was during, what's his name? Usain Bolt. How do you pronounce his name? Yeah. Yeah. Usain Bolt. Yeah. Usain Bolt. I said, I'm going to channel my Usain Bolt. I actually was in my mind. Usain Bolt. Okay. <laughs> and I just took off the trail running as fast as I could past this skunk. And, uh, you know, for like the last, the next two miles, I'd look over my head to make sure this Satan skunk wasn't after me. Yeah, that's so that was scary. Yeah, that sounds with the red eyes and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Well, um, yeah, I feel uh, it, you, your life is really just so enriched. It feels, from my opinion, by the Appalachian Trail, the people you've met, the people who you've made meet each other as well. You know, yeah. and. Um, it, it what is so carol sabay is the current record holder and and there's still people through hiking now what's what what would you say is the difference between through hiking and going for the record <laughs> well they're both hard but going for a record is you have to make all the right decisions It's like being in a chess match and the trail is the master. The trail is the chess master. And the only thing you can do is you can't beat it. The only thing you can do is play it to a draw. Yep. Doing the trail normal, you, you're not, there's a lot of room for bad decisions, but there's no room for trying to break a record. No wriggle room now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good note to um, to end on, man. That's uh, pretty, pretty real. Well, Warren, you know, um, 
can you uh like if you could leave three pieces of advice for people who want to through hike you know um what are your what are they uh for people who want to regardless north south or whatever what what's your three things that these people who want to through hike the at should be considering all right well to me this is the key barring an unavoidable injury or death or illness at home in the immediate family okay barring an unavoidable injury or death or illness in the immediate family back home. The three keys of whether you're going to do it or not is revolves around those three uh, variables. And you know, like we, some of us go to doctors now and they get, they give scans. They, they, well, they take our blood pressure and they take how much plaque is in our arteries, you know, to prevent stroke or to predict stroke and they send us the results. If your result is in red, you, you got to, you, you have a, uh, a condition that's may not be good for you. And you should seek medical attention immediately. If it's in the yellow, it's please be aware of it. Take caution, be aware of it. If it's in the green, you know, this blood pressure or whatever, you're okay. Mm. The trail has three things, three things that you have to be very conscious of. One, level of comfort. Are you in the red? Are you in the yellow? Or are you on in the green? And I know what the trail demands. I know what the trail demands in terms of your level of comfort. Two, your threshold of pain. Are you in the red? Are you in the yellow or are you in the green? And I know what the trail demands for your threshold of pain. And then your last is your temperament. Is your temperament, are you gonna form a healthy relationship with the trail or not? Are you gonna be in the red? Are you gonna be in the yellow? Or are you gonna be in the green? And obviously the people that have the three variables in the green have a much greater chance of success than people who have the three variables in the red. And I guess that's for also through hikers and record attempters, yeah. I guess, or yeah, people right. who have set the record. It's yeah. both the same thing. Yeah, it's just, yeah, the, the record attempt is all about decision-making though too, mm. logistical decision-making yeah. and knowing the trail, yeah. knowing the rhythms of the trail. Well, um, Warren, thanks. Uh, thanks for your time. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's very much appreciated. I, I really mean that. And, and it, this, 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 this two hours is, you know, uh, do you have, let me ask about the future. Do you have a book coming out? <laughs> well, I, well, well, I got a book, the one page book that's on my website. It's free, but yeah, I was going to start it at the age of 70. So I started it uh last march but then it was all during the middle of everything's falling apart with covid so that took my mental focus out of that and now we've just been through this where we're still at it this uh uh all the politics and stuff yeah but but i have it all in my head and so yeah i'll be writing i'll be it'll be a one and done book it'll be self-published uh 
there'll be a one and done book and and uh yeah it's going to be uh i'll warn people in the preface that there may be some chapters that they may might not want to read <laughs> yeah well that's so, uh yeah. you know but you know it's going to be it'll be an interesting book uh in terms of future the david horton sent me or referred and i don't know whether you've heard about him yet uh, khalil khalil have you heard about him no no all right well khalil you could talk to david horton about him uh he was a soccer player at liberty university he hiked the trail in 2018 and i he did it in under 100 days so that was the year that Got you it. were out there in 2019, yeah. So this was 2018. Um, he wasn't out for a record or anything, but he he wants to do the record. Mm -hmm. And so David Horton, immediately after I got back from working with Liz, I guess told him to contact me. So he contacted me and him and his wife came out and we did it. This is short 30 mile day outside of the folk school here. Mm. And then we just did a uh, practice hike that got cut short because his knees were bothering him, you know, which was a big surprise for him down south. We have one more practice hike in March, but he's interested in <clears throat> doing a record attempt and, and he's very um, motivated by faith. Like Bill Irwin, the blind guy, blind hiker. Mm. He, he was doing it because he was doing it for the grace of God, basically. And so I sometimes wonder about faith and what faith can cause people to do or not do. Mm. So he's He's in the running. I know you're planning to do an attempt. I think there's somebody else that Liz uh, has been following that he, she's putting pieces together that he may be attempting a record. So I think this next year, uh, depending on the pandemic, mm -hmm. there's going to be several attempts. It's going to be similar to to about five years ago when there was about five or six attempts in one year, which is a lot. Of course, one guy, I know whether you hear about that one guy, he said he was going to go out and set a record, but he wasn't going to run on Sunday for religious reasons. And so I didn't hear about that guy. Oh, wait, forget about that, you know. <laughs> They're going to set a record, you know, like run, running six out of seven days, taking a rest day every week. No, no. Yeah. It, it, what that that year when you said there was several people going after the record which was the who got it that year um five i don't think anybody did. oh okay <laughs> right yeah yeah now there was a lot of pretenders and and uh you know so uh you know who knows but you know it's fascinating it, it certainly is is entertaining uh mm. and like this year the other thing too with Liz is that was the least animosity I've ever 
seen social media wise to a record attempt. Yeah. Of course she wasn't, she worked her social media really well, low key. As you know, there was only one place people could get information. And I was doing daily updates. You know, you were aware of her, her website. Yeah. I was looking on both the website and also the Facebook. Yeah. But the Facebook thing was negligible, neg you know, ne you know negligible. Mm. And uh, white lays wouldn't carry it because of the uh, COVID stuff. Yeah. You know, so, so that was a blessing in disguise. And so when I look at all the social media stuff, very little negativity. And she got a lot of, uh, not that we were organizing it, but she got a lot of support later on, you know, from Virginia North. She just got a lot of support. Yeah. Um, in, in terms and, you know, of people pleasant, coming out. You know, she was yeah. charming, you know, she's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so... Uh, yeah, she, she just got a, a lot of support from other hikers. She was sort of the feel-good story on a very challenging, confusing, frustrating season for through hikers on the AT. Mm. She was a feel-good story. Mm, yeah, definitely. I, I actually, when her attempt, and actually, let me say, when you guys... Uh, we, we're going after the record every day. I would check in <laughs> on the website, you know, sure. uh, to uh, see, you know, that was the most interesting thing of my day. <laughs> and yeah. if, if you didn't upload, I was like refreshing, refreshing. I was like, okay, it's going to be tomorrow. So I, yeah. I avidly followed along and it was a feel good story. And I was with Liz, you know, it, just in spirit and you and, and also, um, you know, the car, the trusty car, is it Pegasus? Yeah, Pegasus, yeah. Yeah. Didn't break down. That's that's good, too. Not one breakdown. $650 car from auction. Not, Not good tires for it. Nah, that's, a, that's remarkable. Yep, that is. And there you have it, guys. My interview with Warren Doyle, which I... Um, learned a lot of new things about Appalachian Trail and Warren that I never knew before. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed our talk as much as I did. And um, maybe you've been inspired to get out and maybe plan yourself a, a long hike. You know, it's definitely life changing. And um, as you can see, it, it, it became Warren, the Appalachian Trail in some way became Warren's life. And what a beautiful thing to fill your life with and, and enrich yourself and others around you with. Ultimately, nature, right? So anyway, guys, if you find value in my podcasts, go ahead and give me a like. Uh, please subscribe and uh, maybe give me a rating. That would be cool. Uh, and in the meantime, have a great week. And I'll be back next week with a brand new guest and a brand new episode.